Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Usually on the first Sunday of August every year, this church takes a moment to recognize that all of our teachers and administrators and specialists and assistants and parapros are back in the grind. You started some of you last week and you start this next week and we recognize that what you do, you do because you sense some kind of calling in that vocation. And we wanna pray for you, but not only you. I think today, either in the sanctuary or in the Family Life Center, we have um, uh, some of the faculty of our midweek preschool with us scattered about. But we also have all of our teachers in the surrounding area. Uh, If you are a teacher, an administrator, an assistant principal, a bus driver, a cafeteria worker, if you have any hand in the school system as we uh, get started in a new school year, we wanna pray for you. And not only you, but our children. There are anxious parents nowadays as we start new school years, isn't there? And we wanna pray for their safety and for their experience to be nothing but free of threat free of anxiety and stress, and certainly free of any kind of harm. So I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna say a prayer on behalf of all of us, but would you do us the honor, teachers, administrators, if you work in the school system at any level and at any uh, you know, elementary, middle, high, or beyond, would you stand with us for a moment as we pray for you? Let's stand right where you are, teachers. Good. Yeah, go ahead, clap for them, that's good. Okay, good. All through our balcony, probably okay. I want you to remain standing where you are. Would you remain standing in the rest of our church family, both here and in the Family Life Center? Let's offer a word of prayer now. God, as we are here in the midst of worship, we can imagine no better moment than to lift up those whom we love before you in prayer. Lord, you know above all It's been a hard two or three years for our educators. And our prayer this year is that there would be a renewed sense of joy in their vocation, a renewed sense of mission. We pray for children and teachers alike in every school environment. We pray for their safety, that you would establish a hedge of protection around them, and we pray For the officers, the resource officers, those who are charged with their care, we pray for them and for their families as they look after our youngest ones and those who are called to raise them up in a good, safe environment. We pray for every person standing here and those beyond the walls of this church who are in education that you would inspire in their hearts and minds, awaken a renewed awareness of your call on their lives. 
that they would see each moment of instruction as more than simply passing on information from one person to a class of pupils, but we pray that you would infuse within every moment of their school day a renewing awareness that what they are doing is in partnership with you. We pray that you would help them to love, keep them patient, and on days when they are anxious and worn out, be the strength at the core of what they do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, and all of God's daughters and sons said together, amen. Thank you, you may be seated teachers. Thank you so much. So today, I wanna, I'm thinking a little bit about how to start this new sermon series, and I wanna talk a little bit about some excuses. And, and so I found recently that Reader's Digest a few years ago listed like the top 100 excuses that were given to real employee, employers from real employees about why they missed work the day before. So teachers, you may wanna tuck a couple of these in your pocket, just in case the day grows long and weary. These are all true. I'm just gonna give you about nine or 10 of them. True excuses given to real bosses. Number one, my grandma tried to poison me. Again. One worker was out because his pet llama was sick. One missed work because she ate cat food mistakenly instead of tuna and was sick all day long. Another was out because he was stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and couldn't get out. Man, if I had a nickel, right? Every time that happened to me, no. One employee called in and said, I couldn't come in yesterday because my wife found out I was cheating on her and I spent all day digging my stuff out of the dumpster. One man was, was out because he broke, he said he broke his arm reaching for a falling sandwich. That must have been a really good sandwich. One employee missed work because she accidentally got on an airplane. Like, what, did you trip? I mean, what? what? An employee had to attend the funeral, this is one reason, he had to attend the funeral of his wife's cousin's pet because, after all, he's the uncle and a pallbearer. (laughs) One worker was having the bowling game of his life and couldn't bring himself to stop, and then, of course, finally, one person said, I couldn't make it into work yesterday because I woke up in a good mood and didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah, try that one out. Oh, so many good excuses. So many so-so excuses. A little like the neighbor who went to his neighbor and said, may I borrow your lawnmower? Mine is broken. And the neighbor said, no, I'm sorry, you can't. All of the flights from New York to LA have been canceled today. He said, well, what's that have to do with you lending me your lawnmower? He said, well, I figured if, if I don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. So. <laughs> and isn't, isn't that true? With what we do with one another and especially with God. See, see when, when God imagined you, 
into existence? God thought you were a pretty good idea. And part of that good idea included the hope that someday along your journey, you would wake up to the awareness that God's design is for you to be invited into something with God, to be included with the work of God in the world, to somehow partner to partner with God in loving and repairing and reconciling the broken parts of this world. That's that's what this whole book is about. It is about God approaching humankind, individuals, families, tribes, nations, with the hope that we might join God in the ongoing work of renewing this broken world. And that's your story. I don't know if you've ever thought about your story that way. Maybe that's not the language that you use when you think about your story. But can I just tell you as your pastor that your story is the next chapter of this book, see? You are, you are the continuation of the stories that we gather around and marvel about every week. But just like our ancient sisters and brothers in the faith, our forebears in the faith, You and I are approached by that God with the hope of joining God with something spectacular in this world and yet like our forebears, we find every imaginable reason to keep God at an arm's distance from us. We come up with every what seems to be logical and reasonable excuse to keep the call of God away from us. And you saw some of those excuses on the video that we made a moment ago. So we feel this impulse that God may be calling you to do something, to step forward, to take a risk, to go on a journey that you would never imagine possible, and yet our default mode is, I'm too old, I'm too, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I am too Exhausted. I don't have enough giftedness or talent or availability. I've got too much of this kind of thing in my life and I don't have enough of the other kind of thing in my life so I'll have to pass. And all the while, we keep ourselves at an arm's distance from a journey that is filled with aliveness. Risk, yeah. But purpose and meaning and joy, yeah. And that's an urgent message for us to consider this morning because I promise you somebody has come into this hour of worship and you barely made it here today. You've been barely making it for a while and you're holding on by a very thin thread and you are even exhausted from attempting to find meaning in your life where you have found no meaning and, and, and maybe you've been carrying around some regret or some broken part of you that has now somehow become the dominant part of your story And you're living with this low-grade disappointment through life, this kind of low-grade fever of discontentment, and you're looking for something to matter. You're just looking for some reason to want to get up in the morning. And yet, the God who comes to us in the Bible is introduced as one who may have come to you a thousand times in your life, inviting you, including you, calling you, embracing you, and yet 10,000 times you found a way to say thanks, but no thanks, not, not me. I, 
And if that is you today, man, did you pick the right day to come? Did you pick the right series to begin at the front end of this week because all these next few weeks we are going to be looking at what it means to become available to the God who has made himself available to us. Do you know what that tension feels like? To want your life to be teeming with aliveness and yet you know that the risk is so great you just, I don't know if it's worth it. Somebody who knew about that is the person we're reading about today, Moses. Would you turn with me? We're gonna read in a couple of places from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter three, it's a story that if you've been around in church for a while, you've heard it so many times that you think you know everything about it. And the worst at that are preachers who assume that because they've preached it a thousand times, they know everything to preach about it. And I'm here to tell you as one freshly coming to this text, I think there's a word to hear with new ears today. Chapter three, verse one, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He, he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Can we talk for just a moment about burning bushes? You know, it's not uncommon for a bush to spontaneously combust in the wilderness. We know geographically, geologically, meteorologically, we know that's something that can happen. It can happen and that has happened all the time, even at the time of Moses, even to this very day. What is unique about this, as we all know, is this particular bush was on fire but not being consumed. It's interesting to me that you can see something again and 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 yet on the 47th time you see it, it's different this time. My wife and I have been married 26 years all together. We've been dating like next, you know, this fall is going to be like 29 years. It's a long time to be doing life with me. Can we just have some sympathy for my wife? And yet there are days, that's a long time for, for us. And there are days when I will look at her 
having already seen her all that time, having known seemingly everything there is to be known about her, and in, a, in just the right light and in just the right moment, I see something of the mystery that I am reminded is infinite. It's the same wife, but not really. I look at my sons who are becoming men and, and sometimes I will look at them in a particular light and I will see in their faces the same faces that I wrestled around on the floor with when they were three and five. It's the same giddiness, the same expression, the same eyebrows, it's the same thing. They're the same kids, but they're not. And I will see them for the infinite mystery that they are and, and they're not the same sons and I'm not the same dad. And do you know that sometimes I look at you? This church that I love, filled with people I love, and this fall it'll be like 10 years since I preached in view of a call here, and you suckers invited me to be your pastor. <laughs> and I look at you now, and the stories that you have shared, and the story that you're living, and, and sometimes I see you, and it's the same church, but not really. And I'm the same pastor, <laughs> but not really. I don't know what it was about this particular bush, this particular day, yes, we know it wasn't being consumed, but why is it that Moses happened to notice and turn aside to investigate? There was something different, and I don't know. Maybe it's because God's timing is perfect timing. We used to sing in the gospel choir, God may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. And I wonder if this particular day, he's been doing this for 40 years. When he was 40 years old, he began to work and came on the payroll for his father-in-law. And for 40 years, he's been doing the same thing, seeing bushes blow up into the flames. And this one day, it was holy. You know, Roar says that you and I don't lack the presence of God in our lives. We never have. What we lack is the awareness of it. That there are burning bushes everywhere and if we have the eyes to see and if we allow the spirit to make scales fall from those eyes, we might see that the whole thing is sacred ground. Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it this way. And she said, earth crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. There was something about this fire that caught his attention that no other fire did quite like this one. And you know what occurs to me? That the first step in becoming available to God is in waking up to the reality that God has made God's own self already available to us. This is what the whole incarnation is all about. God became one of us to express to all humankind God desires to be known by us that deeply. That God is available to us and part of becoming available to God is to first believe this is true. 
You may have been going 40 years in your own wilderness, not seeing any bush of fire with the holy flame of God's presence. But once you see, you cannot not see the holy presence and divine action of God everywhere you look. And by the way, the call of God is always fire. It's always fire. It may not be dramatic and theatrical. It may not involve pyrotechnics like we see in Exodus chapter three, but it's always fire, this call of God, because it does what fire does. You know, with fire, there's something about fire that that draws us by its light and its warmth. You can come near it and be illumined by its light and warmed by its heat, but at the same time, there's something repelling about fire. You get too close and you'll get burned and it can singe and it can be filled with pain. We're told that Moses drew close because there's something drawing in in God's own presence to him to draw close and take off his shoes but then when he heard the voice, he turned away for he was afraid to look at God and I'm just curious if any of you know what that strange tension feels like. To know that there is something that God offers and you've been putting it off for a long time but maybe lately you've you've begun to open up your soul a little bit to it and you're being drawn to the possibility that there's an aliveness in, in God and maybe there's a calling where God can use me and my presence in the world to love somebody else. And you're drawn to the fire of God's call, but at the same time, once you recognize it will take risk, once you recognize what it will cost you, we're just saying, I give all my service to you, no matter the cost or what others do. But that tension of wanting to be called by God to have a life of purpose, but also wanting to just run for your life in the other direction, if you know that tension, then you're in good company because Moses knew it too. And of course, this is where the excuses came. Moses gives no less than five elaborate excuses about why he's not qualified. Everything from, uh, well, who am I? They don't know me. I don't don't have the credibility. I don't have the CV. I don't have the resume. It's not me really qualified to do this thing. And by the way, who are you? I mean, I don't even know much about you. I don't know enough information to share with them so that they will believe that I've spoken to you. And and by the way, what if I do tell them and and they don't don't believe me or they don't even listen to me? What if they don't give me the time of day? And then by by the way, in case you haven't noticed, I'm not eloquent of speech. I don't talk so good. And so if you're gonna call me to give a speech in front of the, the king of Egypt, you're, you're picking the wrong person. And then finally, the last excuse, he just begs God. I am begging you, pick somebody else. And if I were to summarize all of his excuses in just you know like one phrase, I think what Moses was saying was, I am not enough. I'm not, he wants me to go to the king of Egypt and declare that all of his slave labor, his free economic uh, tool of this entire race of people is to be set free. And I'm not enough to pull off this task. You know, on the one hand, what I want to say to Moses is, yeah, you're right. 
No, 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 you got a point there. You're not much. And I'll say that to you, and I'll say it to the guy I see in the mirror when I get ready in the morning. When you feel like you're not enough, yeah, you probably got a point there. You're not. But it's not your enoughness that matters. It's being made available to the enoughness of God working through you to pull off the task. I don't know what thing it is he's calling you to do and I don't know where he's calling you to go, what new thing he may be attempting to to bid you to experiment in this vocation of following Christ for the rest of your life. But I can tell you this, if you worry that you're not enough, you're absolutely right. Good news. It's not your enoughness that matters. And of course, on the other hand, when I hear Moses saying, I'm not enough, I don't have any of these things, and I have too many of these other problems, and I'm not enough, when I hear that, what I want to say is, you know, I want to call like, well, the Greek word is baloney. <laughs> you mean you're not enough? Well, who are you to ask, who am I to do this great? What do you mean, who are you, who are you not to? You, Moses, when you were a baby, you were brought out of the Nile River and safely delivered by Pharaoh's daughters into the palace of the king. You were raised in the royal household. You had all the best food, all the finest clothing, and the greatest education the king could provide. You had every right and privilege of being an Egyptian royal. And so how are you going to talk to me about I am not enough? Who am I to do that? Who are you not to use anything that is in your hand to set somebody else free? Who are you not to use your Egyptian status, position, power? Who are you not to use your Egyptian privilege to ensure that others are made free? And you know what we do? You, me, we do the same thing. We downplay our privilege like it's going out of style. And we don't like to use that word, you know, because I've worked hard for what I have. I know, I get it, but thank God for the privilege of health to work. Thank God for the privilege of access to health care, and thank God for the privilege of access to education. Thank God for a family. Thank God for all the pieces that are in the systems around me that allow me to have access to a position of influence and power. And how dare I think, who am I? Who am I not to use anything in my hands to set another person free? Yeah. You know, I, I love what Marianne Williamson says about this. Marianne Williamson. See, I don't, I'm not eloquent of speech. So Marianne Williamson, this is what she says. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. So we, when Moses says, I'm, I'm, too sm- I don't have, I'm not enough, who am I? You know, we call bull butter on Moses today. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, well, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. 
We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Isn't that a good word? I wonder what Moses would have said if he had heard that, because I think he did eventually, as the story goes on, right in the middle of all of his excuse making, he was excuse maker par excellence, and one after the next, and right in the middle, God does something that changes the whole trajectory. In chapter four, verse one, we read these words. Then Moses answered, but but suppose they do not believe me or, or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake and Moses drew back from it. One translation says, ran from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it and it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God equips him, we know the story, God equips him with some signs, this and a couple of other signs. And we know because we've heard this story again and again. What is that in your hand? A staff. A staff, a rod, a shepherd's tool. Now let me break in and give you a spoiler alert. You and I have heard every one of these sermons before. I mean, I've preached a dozen of these and And what we've heard every time, I've preached this more than a dozen times in other places. Oh yes, it's the rod of Moses. And you've heard the sermon. It's just a simple shepherd's staff, but it's this rod that he plants at the edge of the Red Sea and the sea parts. It's this rod that he strikes the rock with and water flows. It's this rod that when he holds it up, they are victorious on the battlefield and we hear all those sermons. So it's not just a simple rod. And we've heard about the textual nuances of Greek and how at the beginning of this whole narrative of his calling, it's just a simple rod. And it's it's the rod of Moses, but as he continually gives his rod back to God to be used by God, at the end of the narrative, it's actually changed and it becomes known not as the rod of Moses, but as the rod of God. And I could preach a sermon if you want me to about what it means to gradually hand over your your tool, the thing that you have in your hand to God, and the more you give it over to God, the more God can use it, and the more you become an instrument of his love in the world, and it would be a good sermon. But that's not what I wanna preach to you this morning. I, I saw this with new eyes this week because, what is that in your hand? It's a staff. Something that would never 
have been in my hand if my life didn't fall apart 40 years ago? I didn't want to be on my father-in-law's payroll. Moses, growing up with a conflicted identity. Am I Egyptian or am I Hebrew? I don't know, but I saw one day another Egyptian beating another Hebrew and I rose up and I took his life and I murdered him and Moses in that moment flees for his life and runs into the wilderness and for 40 years is a a refugee, a hideaway, a criminal. And holding in his hand the answer to God's question, what is in your hand? It is not just the instrument of my work, my vocation. What I have in my hand is the symbol of everything that I regret. It symbolizes every bit of what I'm ashamed of. Had I not done the thing I did or said the thing I said, had I not made the decision that I made, this thing wouldn't be in my hand. And I'd certainly have a better life than what I have now. What is that in your hand? It's a staff. It's a staff. And every time I look at it, I regret. And I wonder how many of us walk through life holding with both hands something that symbolizes every regret that we have. And I wonder if the regret that you have is the one thing that is actually keeping you from being of use to God. Because you think this is the thing that disqualifies you. And I'm here to say that the thing that you think disqualifies you is the thing that qualifies you. God wants to use you not because of your past mistakes or your sin or your broken parts in your life. God wants to use you not despite those, but because of those. What does he tell Moses to do? What's he tell him to do? Throw it down. You thought it was going to become a stake, didn't you? <laughs> and then it says in the text that when he threw it down, it became a snake, and he ran away from it. You know why? Because it's a snake. No. Because it's scary when your past slithers into your present. It's not just scary, it's crippling. Pick it up, Moses. Pick it up by the tail. Do you know what's harder than letting go of the thing that has had a grip on you your whole life? You know what's harder? (laughs) Finding the faith to allow God to give you what it takes to reach down and pick it back up and then see that it has been transformed now. Everything that you throw on the ground before God can be transformed by God and then used as an instrument of his love in the world. It's not despite your problems and your inadequacies, your insufficiencies. It's not because of all the things that's wrong with you that God, it's not despite all those things that God wants to use you. It's because of all those things. I think of Paul And Paul said, I asked the Lord if he would remove this problem of mine three times, this thorn in my flesh, and each time he said, no, no, because my grace is made 
perfect and my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. My enoughness is enough for you. My strength is the kind of strength that's made perfect in your weakness. It's not the only thing he asks him to do with his hand. He also says to Moses, take your hand and reach it inside your cloak and pull it out. And then it was leprosy. It was filled with leprosy. He said, put it back in. He puts it back in, takes it out, and he's clean again. And all these are wonderful signs that he'll use to demonstrate to the Egyptians and to the Israelites that they can believe that God has sent him. But do you know who has to believe it first? Moses has to believe that all of the interior disease of his life all those hidden places that are covered with the leprosy of the heart that he regrets and he's ashamed of, all those parts are not to remain hidden but to be brought into the light because God uses our vulnerability. Because when we are vulnerable, it's God who shines and not ourselves. He says, take your hand to the Nile and bring water out and drop it on the dry ground and it became blood Another wonderful sign, yes, but another reminder to Moses, I want you in all of your regret, in all of your interior shame to join me in transforming the world. And beloved, that is the message to you and me. The message is if you are afraid of taking a step of faith, if you are afraid of following him wherever it is that he bids you come, understand this. The call of God will never take you where the grace of God will not sustain you.